Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER, for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in our capital, Helena, Montana. Each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look feel and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod scott personally calls every customer who buys one of his rods head to montanacastingco.com and use code meateater20 at checkout for a one-time 20 percent off discount this is the meat eater podcast uh recording in hell <laughs> if they had decided to go and they should have if you really wanted to scare Sinners, you would have had it be cold and wet rather than hot and fiery. I think hell should have been cold and wet. There'd be less people in it. The the hell we're in right now is southern Prince of Wales Island. It's a very big island. It's like the, by some definitions, the third largest island in the U.S. It's about half the size of Hawaii Island. Has about four times the coastline. Um, 160 inches of rain, a significant proportion which we're logging right now. We're on a blacktail deer hunt. We've had one chunk of about five or six hours, which I would call productive hunting, out of three days. Uh, we're stuck right now in a seek outside teepee tent. We call it personally, like the teehee teepee, for reasons I'm not going to get into. But. <laughs> And we're just waiting for the wind and rain to clear up, and it's just awful. We're here with uh, Brian the Kid Callen. Yeah. Joe Rogan. Hi. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. actually, the only thing I'm thinking about is um, when they're going to be able to get the seaplane in here to get me the hell out of here. You know Funny, what? I the, was the, thinking that until I got that fleece liner for my sleeping bag. I'm a new man. I'm good to go, dude. We started a fire last night. The fire was a huge morale <laughs> boost. I, I, Steve and I dried out my sleeping bag. My sleeping bag was wet. From that and the fleece liner, and the fact that for about two seconds I had a scope on a buck yesterday. Yeah. For two seconds I saw that sucker in the scope. It's amazing how rejuvenative that is, actually. That means yeah. that if anything had gone differently, if he had stayed there, if the cameras were on him, if he didn't get spooked, he got spooked and he took off. We don't even know what spooked him, but. We could have shot a deer last night, yeah. and then we could have cooked him over that fire. You know, I later realized it would have been very difficult to get down and get that deer. 
but possible. Oh no! Listen, I would have if I had just it. made a flight suit out of my yeah. rainwear, I would have gone down there and got there. <laughs> we would have figured it out. But we were on a cliff too. That was one thing that was kind of scary. You know, it was, was reminiscent of your. It was reminiscent of your first kid. deer. Yeah, kind of. Simple. We shot off yeah. a canyon rim. Yeah, yeah. So it, we're at, we're we're at we landed on a lake here at thirteen hundred feet above sea level, and this this area we're in gets a tremendous amount of snow. And uh, in May, still, it's these mountains are snow-capped. They start to melt off in June and July. And when that happens, there's a lot of new growth, new plant growth. And black-tailed deer will migrate up into the high stuff. And they'll come up 2,000 feet, 3,000 feet where they can get at it. And live up there until things start to turn and the weather starts to turn. At which point, they'll migrate back down. And they rut down more, uh, a little closer to the water. We're later, we came up here later than, than, than we should have. Ideally, we would have come up here, you know, around August 15th. Um, you still got good weather. The deer are still very high up, probably been good. I've come up here as late as September 20 and had pretty good hunting. We're into early October and it's, it seems like there's a ton of sign where deer have been in here, but I just get the feeling like some of the animals, you know, significant portion of animals have moved out. But yesterday we had like great weather. We like up from here, <coughs> maybe 500 feet. We wound up seeing uh, six deer, saw one buck. I was super optimistic. And then it just, the weather just collapsed on us again. It's just been, it's just, a, it's kind of tough and, and a little bit miserable. But, I'm but the like, fleece liners are nice because they don't, when your bag gets wet, the fleece liner still feels fresh and nice. Yeah. yeah. Fleece liner is huge. Changes the game. Fires change the game too. Yeah. Fires are, morale bo- are a morale boost. Yeah. Yeah, that, that had a huge impact. <clears throat> you know, I was determined yesterday to get a fire going. So started gathering up little tiny twigs. And then uh, Mike and I started sawing little pieces that looked like they might be able to be cooking. And then Dodie figured out that you could light Fritos on fire. And they light on fire really good. And so Dodie really actually started the fire off. He got a a little, uh, we found a a piece of cardboard box. And he put the Fritos in the box. Is that right? Yeah. And then we lit that on fire. And then we stacked some little twigs on fire. Before you know it, we had an actual fire. You should sell fire kits, Doherty, where it's just like a box full of Fritos. <laughs> well, they hold their flame. They hold their flame. It was fun, man. Last night was great. Just just having that was gigantic. So we got, it's uh, what, it's Sunday. We're supposed to fly out of here on Tuesday. Honestly, I we wouldn't have a chance to really get out of here until Tuesday because of the weather. There's no way you get a plane in here right now. We got gale force winds. Monday is supposed to be frequent showers, but it sounds like it'll be huntable tomorrow. Could be huntable tonight. Um, Tuesday, we'll see. We might have a lot more hunting days in store if the plane can't get in here. I will <laughs> never, ever, uh, ever come back here. Oh, I don't shit. think. I don't think. What? I don't think I'll ever come back to this spot. Nah, this place sucks. I def, I definitely won't come back. One hundred percent, I won't. I'd come back in August. Yeah, I'd come back in August. <laughs> but uh, I won't come back in early October. And the problem is, so so the the the, the you know we're we're doing obviously a film hunt 
for media or the TV show. And this is the third time we've been graced with the presence of Brian the Kid Callen and Joe Rogan. And uh, the first time we hunted together, we went and hunted mule deer in the Missouri breaks. And that was cold, but we were seeing deer. You know, we knew we were going to get a deer. Then we went whitetail deer hunt, and that was ridiculously cold. But we were seeing deer, lots of them. And this isn't nearly as cold, but just wet. But it's like, it's just like sick of blacktail deer hunting is this. It's just a wet game. I don't know if people aren't into it where they're not into it because of the, the conditions or because they don't have giant, big, sexy racks. You know. Well, sick of blacktail aren't really into it either because we haven't seen any. So when it rains, <laughs> they're like, oh, I'm going to hang out in the woods. Yeah, even the deer aren't into it. Yeah, yeah. Even the deer are like, oh, this place sucks. Yeah. Let's go lower. Dan Doty knew. Dan, tell us a little bit about what you knew. We should explain why we're in this teepee. Did you explain exactly what's going on outside and why we're not out hunting? Yeah, we have right now we have Gale. Well, there's three problems right now. Problem one is we have gale force winds. Um, everything's moving and shaking, and the rain is, is moving horizontal. Problem two is the rain. It's very wet out. Problem three is we're in a cloud. We're actually in a cloud, so you can't see anything anyways, any appreciable distance. To go out and hunt right now, um, if you could remove either the wind or remove yeah either the wind or the clouds i think you could probably go out and hunt but right now i think you're not think right now you're wasting your time and you're just burning up dry clothes what you say how many uh how many days supplies until we have to start eating each other if we do get stranded out here if things get that bad we would walk uh we would walk out to my cabin how long would that take with you guys? Yeah. I have, a, I have, a, I have what's called... <laughs> hold on, I have a tireless swagger. Because you remember your friend Joe was explaining how you have a hard time no. moving from point A to point because B. Because he's a liar. Listen to me, I, have, I move with the woods. I move with the land. You so, just don't move good. No, 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 no that's, that's a mistake. What you're seeing is you're seeing... Uh, I move through space with minimum waste. If I didn't know better, I'd say you have a neurological issue. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> See, this is this is where you're wrong. What I'm doing is I'm 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 shucking and driving, and you have to do that to get through the vegetation. It looks there. like there's a hitch in your step. That's what it looks like. But I'm ducking. I'm up. I'm down. I'm moving around. I but, practice my boxing. But your legs—they don't make like you don't have like a long stride. Like no, it's no, no. weird. That's true. I have a long torso, and I have short Italian peasant legs. Um, they're built to uh, to squat and dig. And uh, I'm built. That, that's they're built for poverty. Yes, yeah, I'm built for poverty and to carry sticks on my back and to be oppressed. But I get there. I get there. I get there. So yeah, with you guys, with you stepping and jiving, whatever you're doing, shucking, yeah, and, shucking, shucking and jiving yeah, your way through the woods. It would probably turn into an overnighter. I feel like I could probably leave at daybreak and get there by dark. Jeez, it's six miles. Six miles is a bitch. I ran. I walked four. I don't know how long it takes to get there. Now six look miles seems like nothing. We do it. Like we six miles seems day. like. Well, it's just a it's a matter of cliffs. Yeah, yeah. it's a matter of cliffs. Maybe we, we do it. Get to the water and have uh, Ron come pick us up in the village. Oh, I forgot we got a satellite phone. 
Yeah, we'd be all right. We'd walk down and have Ron come get us. Yeah? Yeah. Never How thought about that? that. Anyways, what's that? How far would that be? That For him to, to make a run? Walk to where Ron would come get us. Oh, we, we would it'd be a couple miles, a few miles. Oh, so easy. Maybe. Maybe. It'd be a bad few miles. It'd be like the worst few miles you ever walked, but it'd be, it's doable. Cutting through, huh? So this might be a real issue. Like We might really get stuck here. Because this wasn't supposed to be... Today was not supposed to be like this. Nope. Tuesday not. Tuesday is going to clear up, though. And you know how you know how predictable the Alaska forecast is. Tuesday is supposed to be sun, rain, light wind. My suggestion is that the next break we get, we get a plane in here. Yeah. Yeah. Be smart. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. We ain't going to have today. I got the phone in my pocket. We can make a phone call right now to Promac and... See what their availability is. Long as we're long as we're doing this, I want I want to um, touch on real quick. I don't know. I was gonna say some stuff about flying, hunting in Alaska, how tenuous it is, because you can get stuck places for days. A friend of mine just went. You know, Brant was on a caribou hunt. They hunt. They were supposed to just go in for a couple days. They went in a couple days shot five caribou and then sat there for five days waiting for a plane to be able to come get them. Wow. What's interesting is after you know the 9-11 terrorist attacks there was a lot of guys they grounded all the flights there was a lot of people that was like prime hunting season you know there was a lot of people sitting out in the woods who had flights scheduled to come get them and then one day there's like no sound of aircraft they have no idea what happened there's no aircraft in the air no one comes and gets them kind of a weird few days wow. in the bush man yeah. how many days was it before they two. get two wow yeah i was reading about a guy who shot a buffalo on the 10th was supposed to get picked up on the 11th and he said it was like not only did his plane not come he said just dead quiet you know because there's always aircraft noise in alaska you know but in places there's always aircraft noise so that's a problem the other problem is this is like a you know a, a constant debate we always have because Joe Rogan really wants to go on an elk hunt real bad, and the constant debate we always have or discussion we have is like what type of hunt do you want? And and, and Joe on an elk hunt it sounds like you just want to get elk. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to suffer. So there's like Steve, Steve like I like throws like this a weird do it, a do it element yourself, into the equation. No, a do-it-yourself uh, hunt. You really open to having like like bad stuff like this happen. You know, like this. Yeah, I would say. Well, if you this don't, could if happen. You don't on, this could to happen on a guy. This could happen on a guided hunt perfectly yeah. well too. But it's just like it just seems to me like like a, a do-it-yourself, a classic do-it-yourself public land hunt conundrum. Yeah, if you don't listen to Dan Doty, you're definitely going to get yourself a Yeah. So, Dan Doty's the voice of caution. What do you do reason. about this episode now? I mean, this episode is largely unsuccessful. Yeah, we've been through it before. We'll make something out of it. Figure it out. This happens to us all the time. But listen, the last two hunts we were on, now we were out hunting black bears, and it was just like a done deal. It was a skunker. And then, Bam! got something we just spent eight days looking for a moose kill one on day nine it's it's just a thing i'm not saying that's going to happen this time but it's just a thing that happens all the time you have to 
wait it out and bear it out. Someone in the tent right now is messing with the jet boil and he's getting a lot of strange looks. You guys are so distracted. He couldn't from... figure out how to shut it off. Oh. I could. It was dead uh, behind the plastic, though. Anyway. I'm glad to hear you say that you'll never come here again because I actually won't ever come back here <laughs> again. Really? I promise you that. Like, to what degree won't you come back here? To this island? Probably. The whole island? Yeah, probably. Unless it's July. Yeah. Never. Well, so what happened to our... What about this spring when we go up with Barb up by Juno? That's not this island. Oh, so... But I, prob I probably won't go anyway. Really? <laughs> All right, so we just lost... We, not only did we have a bad hunt, we just lost the producer. I, I do think there's something immensely satisfying about suffering in comparison to an easy hunt where... You know, you're in a cabin and you go out and you wait and you shoot a deer. I actually... What are you doing with that oatmeal? I'm keeping the sugar out. I don't need sugar. That's why they call me the kid. Let me see what you did. Just, you know, sugar sits in the bottom. Some of that. It's not water. Um, this, this hunt sucked. <laughs> Yesterday was fun. I don't think you got... <laughs> Brian Callen, just so you know, Brian Callen is, has a... Sorry, Joe. This is you know the little oatmeal packets? First, I want to give you a hunting trick. When you're hunting, you can just eat your oatmeal out of your oatmeal packet by just pouring water into the envelope and eating it out of there. You don't need a bowl. We learned that from one of the greatest men I've ever met, Marty Scheidemantel, wherever he is today. And Brian is digging around through one of these packets right now, individually selecting out the oats and the belief that he is leaving the sugar behind and just getting the oats. Yeah, I think I did it. No. No? No, it's just you left a bunch of oats in the bottom of the bag. No. <laughs> Sorry, Joe, go ahead. Uh, anyway, um, it's, it's, it's all fun to suffer and everything like that, but it is 2014, and we do know a lot about like where it sucks and where it doesn't suck. In the future, we would love to go hunting with you again. Let's go somewhere that doesn't suck. Let's go somewhere that has a lot of animals and doesn't suck. Yeah. Everything I've done, and a lot of things I do in my life, is a reaction to whatever happened last to me. Okay? So, so you learn from this mistake. So we went here as a reaction, like re reacting against what happened last time we went hunting. Which is like we were stand hunting for whitetails. Okay? So I'm like, okay, considering that, I wanted to go, we didn't go on a, another stand whitetail hunt. I wanted to go do something totally different. So now there's no way I would leave here and do something like this again. The next thing would be like, we'd go to the desert. The desert? What can you shoot in the desert? Tons of, there's a, a lot of stuff you hunt. Elk, like, coos, deer, havoline. Elk or in the desert? Yeah, there's a lot of desert hunts for elk. Really? I mean, it depends on how you define desert. It might not be like the Mojave, but I'm saying like an area that has less than 13 inches of precipitation a year. Wow. So, yeah, it would be we would do something totally different next time. And uh, and the reason I came back here is because it was, it ended up the last time I was here, it was so beautiful on the last day that I just wanted to come back and experience more of that. But I screwed up. It is, it is really beautiful when the weather breaks. I just hope it's you guys will give me another chance. Do the planes fly at night? Nope. <laughs>
course we'll give you another chance. You I'm, another I'm worried chance? I'm not going to be able to get back in time for this weekend. I have a lot of stuff I have to do next weekend. It'll be a huge issue if I can't get back. We'll get back. I'll get my map out and I'll see what it would involve <clears throat> to uh, what kind of hell we're looking at to get down to the water. And then uh, Ron Layton would come around and get us. You still got to get across the thing, but we could figure that out too. Yeah. Across Clarence Strait, which is tough to get across. Well, 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 we got to call and get a, a, a for, like, we've been running off of something called a marine forecast, and the marine forecast is a little bit hard to translate into what it means for you up in the, where we're at. What's the latest forecast for today? Wind diminishing, rain turning to showers. It's 1020. Can they fly when there's showers? Yes. Okay. No, the showers don't matter. It's just the, the, the ceiling matters. Right. Wind and ceiling. So is it possible that we can get out of here today? Mm -mm. No. No way. Come on. Maybe. Usually sure they're not going to cross. Sure if you call them, they'll know. If you, they're not going to cross Clarence, like, they're not going to cross Clarence Strait with much more than 25 mile an hour winds. All right, you cheapskates. I know you cannot afford to listen to the Meat Eater podcast if it wasn't free. So you got to pay your dues and listen to the following word from our sponsors. Please listen. If you want to go on an elk hunt where there's a guaranteed success, um, that can be done, but I don't know. What I would do next, I would probably want to take you either to hunt in the desert or I'd want to go up and hunt caribou on the North Slope. Caribou in the North Slope sounds like a great time. That sounds like a lot of fun. I watched that get, episode you You can get did. stuck, but also you can get where you're, you're probably going to have hundreds of animals walk by every day because that would be my reaction. You know I said? Like, I'm always reacting. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, hey, not many animals. Now we're going to go see some animals. Right. Hundreds. Right. Walking by. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. So that's what we'll go do next. That's a future hunt. But I would say I, I do want to return to one thing. Uh, about blacktail deer hunting just in general on the subject of hunting there are a couple under underutilized hunts in this country and I'll say a lot of times people contact me like I really want to go do a do-it-yourself hunt you know I don't have a ton of money to spend like what should I do as much as this sucks I think that on these like in blacktail sick of blacktail deer areas there are many areas that just simply that go years and years and years that never get hunted. You know, like if a guy is looking to go on a on a hunt and they want to do like a do-it-yourself public land hunt, I think that this is something that just doesn't get a lot of attention. A lot of guys when they go on, they want to go on a hunt out west. They're they're focused on a handful of things, like a handful of glamorous things. But I feel like people should pay more attention to doing this. I feel like. Uh, Mule deer hunting is a big thing that a fella can just go and do. But this, there's areas out here that will never, that in our, not in our lifetimes, there's areas out here that will go years and years and years and no one's ever going to walk in them to hunt. But you've got to be a, a, just a little hardier than the average do-it-yourselfer that's looking at that mule deer or elk hunt out west versus coming up and hunting sick of black-tailed deer on some rainy island. You've got to want that next level of adventure, next level of experience. You've got to really want that. Yeah. Because it is the next level. 
You can't drive here in your pickup truck, towing a trailer with, you know, basically the kitchen sink behind you. No, but you would take a ferry up, you could take a ferry up to Prince of Wales Island, take a car ferry up to Prince of Wales Island, have your truck on the road system, same way guys do, tons of guys do for Black Bear in the spring, get your truck on the road system, drive in, and then hike up into the Alpine Zone. Yeah, it's miserable, but it's like, if you want to do... Let me put it this way. If you want to do a hunt where you won't see any other people, which is my favorite kind of hunt, I like to be that I'm the only guy in the area and I'm hunting deer that are doing, or hunting game that's acting like game mm -hmm. and not that's acting like in response to people. It's a real sport. Well, it's, just, it's just a different experience. You can do that all day long here, all year long. Yeah. In the long season, August 15th to January 1, four bucks. Per year, it's a good deal. I mean, we're not experiencing it right now, but this is the only real bad sick of blacktail hunt I've ever had. You can see that if the weather broke, this would be a paradise. Because some of those places yesterday, when we come across like some lake, like little pond, it's like Shangri-La. It really is. It really is like a paradise. Like you can't believe something this beautiful exists. But, you know, we we filled our canteens out off this waterfall, and it was just. I don't know, it was, it was incredible. And it was warm. And you so, came back and had a nude bath? I had a nude bath, and when I was on the mountain, I had my shirt off, and I wish you'd seen that, because a, a bald eagle f circled me. I think in reverence, I'm not trying to, but I, but it did it did go, 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 and I was like, what Which is Native American for go with God. But it saluted me, I swear to God it saluted me, I think. I don't have proof, but... He tipped his wing up and... Well, my wings... I'll vouch, you know, my, I'll vouch. He's not making this yeah, up. My, he was standing there, half buff, yeah. and a bald eagle soared by him. You sure it wasn't a raven? It no, was, it, was a, it was a bald, a bald eagle. eagle. It was a beautiful sight. Yeah. The bald eagle was a beautiful sight. And part of that's because I'm so authentically American, but also because my back, my back is so V'd out that they look like wings. <laughs> they call me the eagle. When you see me from behind. Uh, what? Why'd you make that noise? <laughs> oh, and you guys, you guys saw a black bear yesterday. A sow with a cub. Uh huh. I wonder if she's not up here trying to not get her cub killed and eaten, and she just kind of steers clear of other bears, maybe. Damn. Because other, because male bears will kill a cub, huh? Wow. Yeah, they do, and they like do a lot of infanticide, man. They say that um, on Kodiak. When the boars come out, one of the primary things they eat is cubs, brown bear cubs. That's like a that's like they come out and that's what they're doing is they're eating brown bear cubs before they start eating salmon. Is there a big reason they do that? Is to actually make the female come back into estrus, or is that a myth? I think a like a a, a person who's I think a scientist would tell you you don't really know why they do that. I mean, they probably do that for food, but. A result of doing that is that the female will then come into estrus more quickly. So you run the risk of killing your own offspring, but the result is you have a. If you're around and it's in and she's in your area, she's going to come back into estrus. You have a chance to breed her. But I don't know if the bear. I doubt the bear is making these calculations. So, so the brown bear will actually eat its own uh, offspring. I think well, they run the risk of that. They don't know. Uh, okay. Because, I mean, lions will eat, you'll kill the, you know, but, but they don't kill their own offspring. 
You know, like, what, like you guys ever hear the, the geneticist uh, Stephen Gould? He had this thing where he wrote about where when we look at, like, we look at the natural world and everything we see, we go like, oh, it does that for this reason, right? It does that for this reason. So you might say, like, what's the selective or what's the adaptive advantage of having brown bark? Like, oh, the, brown, the bark's brown because of whatever. He's like, maybe there is no advantage at all to having brown bark. There's an advantage to having really thick bark because it can withstand forest fires, let's say. And as a result of becoming thick, it takes on a color that isn't a detriment, but it's not an asset either. It just happens to be brown. You know? And you look at it and you go like, oh, I want it, be, it to be that way for that reason. But yeah, a bear, I bet you he's probably just eating it because he wants to eat it and he wants to get food. And in a advantage, like a, a hidden advantage of that, is that she comes into asterisk, he breeds. So maybe a boar that's more likely to, to devour a lot of cubs gets a lot more chances in his area to breed a lot more females. So I don't know how it rules out that he's not just killing his own offspring. Maybe he don't care. Man, between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it's never-ending. I'm talking about the, the, the subscriptions, the monthly dings on your credit card. Well, thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app. It goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. Meaning, you know, like, let's say there's like a show that comes out and you want to watch it and you wind up doing like this free trial and you forget about it. And then two years later, you realize you're paying those hosers 12 bucks a month for something you don't use. It finds that stuff, cancels it and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings instead. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a, a thousand times, I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. 
Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. Onyx Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. I one time found a black bear that had shit out. It was a black bear shit. It had shit out a black bear cub's claw. Ugh. No way. Yeah. I have a coyote shit that shit out a deer's hoof. Wow. A fawn hoof. They found a, they found bear DNA in those wolves in Siberia, right? They, they were eating bear. What do you Did mean? Did you read about that? There was a special on wolves in Siberia, these giant wolves, and they... Yeah, they'll eat bear cubs. Yeah, well, oh, they must have been eating cubs, not full grown. The, the whole story was that they would have taken down grizzlies, but that doesn't make I'm sense. I'm sure they kill the cubs all yeah. the time. Cubs, maybe. Yeah, I, I doubt a bear. A pack, would maybe. Deal with but that I don't know. Nonsense. Yeah. That yeah. when I found when I found that coyote, the the coyote that shit out the hoof. I started a whole animal shit collection. The guy. I, Where I had, do you keep this in your house? I would dry it on screens. I had a big coffee table made up with a glass top. I took a big giant coffee table and painted it yellow like a National Geographic magazine binding binder, and I built a three-inch high lip around it, and then bought a big heavy chunk of glass and laid it on so you'd be like drinking or whatever, looking down at on a glass top table, and it was recessed where I had many, and so we wound up having we had the me and my brother I mean we both collected so we had like grizzly bear that had been eating grass. We had grizzly bear that had been eating white bark pine nuts. We had grizzly bear that had been eating elk. I had like cottontail rabbit, snowshoe hare, jack rabbit. I had like summertime deer, winter deer. I mean, I had mink, muskrat. I had, I had dozens and dozens of specimens. We'd rotate in and out, but I would dry it on screens, then I would lacquer it. And. <laughs> absolutely odorless and just and when laid out i'm telling you i'm not i'm not telling you just to sound like uh like a, it wasn't like a thing like you're just doing it for the like sake of being weird it was a beautiful display of animal scat but it's hard to maintain like the stuff just you know it still kind of falls it gets too dry and falls apart i eventually just got sick of it but i had an amazing collection of animal scat you got too much free time son no how many, how many piles of animal scat have we seen walking around? A lot. I left them all. Didn't have the desire to even touch them. Never thought once about picking them up. Definitely wouldn't take them home. Without a doubt, wouldn't lacquer them and have fucking breakfast looking down at animal shit. It wasn't unappetizing. There's certain things in life, the scat collection being one, there's certain things in life where everyone, like, if you tell someone about the scat collection, they'd be like, ew, but... Everyone who ever laid eyes on it would always say, 
I get it. That's an amazing collection. Everyone who ever I lied, never had someone was being nice to you. No, no. They're all crazy it's... fuckers who are over your house going, look at this dude collecting animal shit from all over the world. Let's just be nice to him and get the <laughs> fuck out of here and talk mad shit about his shit collection as soon as we get out. I guarantee your friends are driving home. This motherfucker's got three different kinds of rabbit shit in his kitchen. And they're just driving home laughing their dicks off going, fucking Renault, this here's great. Grizzly bear that's got grass in it. Like, this fucking guy's collecting it, packing it in his luggage carefully. He's got, like, bubble wrap around some shit and puts it in a box. What the fuck is wrong with him? The one joke that, that everyone made, and I can tell you're a professional comedian because you, you skipped it, was everyone would come look and they'd always have to say, like, oh, I'll take a shit in there. Oh. Everyone would make that joke. Yeah. The joke it's, is something like, um, but if you did have human mounted, shit in there, yeah. that would that would completely the human collection. shit mounted on a special like, like like a crystal orb. <laughs> so, and I do. an extra layer of shellac oh, with nuts Lord. in it, nuts with good nuts, Lord. and then I would have a sign underneath it that said Snickers to be funny. <laughs> Snickers. This what is a human that? that was eating McDonald's. That's right. That's human shit. That's what it is. That's American human shit. Yeah, what? You only collect <laughs> wild animal shit? Uh, Why don't you pick up some dog shit from your fucking neighbor's yard while you're at it? Look, this well, because cat it was, shit. Because I got it out of the litter box. Got, you can see it. the litter crumbs <laughs> stuck to it. It's authentic. I'll tell you why I did it, because yeah. I'm not inter I'm not I wasn't interested in that stuff. This is from a parakeet. <laughs> <laughs> this pigeon shit on my car. Now I'm eating my breakfast over it. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? Collecting shit. It's the most beautiful. I can understand collection collecting of bones. I can understand a lot of things. I do not understand collecting shit. Well, you don't belong to my club. <laughs> <laughs> We're having our first meeting. When yeah, you're a, you're a little too deep in the animal world, my friend. Well, here's the thing, too, though. It really, uh, if one wants to learn how to read sign, it was a great way sure. to study to book, yeah. sign reading mm -hmm. while you enjoy your coffee in the morning. That's okay. Right. Or during commercial breaks, if you're watching tube, you could be like, oh, this down. guy talk about detergent, and I'm going to brush up on uh, my moose skin. It's like that you call it tube. You don't say when you're watching the TV, you go, when commercial break, when you're watching tube. They don't uh, have tubes anymore. Yep. They haven't had tubes since the fucking <laughs> right. 70s. I have a flat screen. <laughs> don't, yeah, people still call it tube, don't they? Like, nah. Oh, not in America. In, in Russia. <laughs> say, you guys got any pops? 1930s technology. <laughs> yeah, they call it the tube. Do you have a, do you they, have a, they still have cabinets that they watch right. their TV in. Do you have a turntables, too? Are you looking, are you shopping for a needle? Uh, what's your uh, fucking... What's your Super 8 collection look like? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about hey, you? You hear about this new thing? You got some reel-to-reels? You hear about this new thing called antibiotics? It's all this crazy stuff. They even have uh, internal combustion engines. Get with the times. Get with the fucking times. Tube. Uh, when you're watching Tube and I'm drinking pop. Tube. When I'm drinking pop and watching Tube. Staring at my shit collection. There it is. And I'm smoking my jerky for the winter. And then I'm churning butter. Well, my girl's churning butter. Uh, and it looks like we're going to make it through the winter this time. Look, some crow shit. Yep. I'm going without getting sick. Had to fight off Jardia for the 10th time. I think my trichinosis killed the Jardia. You hear about this new thing called toilets? 
No more shit in a pot for me. I'm, we're saving up for a toilet. Apparently, it's got water in it. Wait a minute. Y'all don't light your toilet paper on fire? Uh-huh. Anyway, thank you for uh, signing in. <laughs> uh, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, shit. Oh, my animal shit. No, I was thinking about talking about something different. That's so funny, by the way, Steve. That is a ridiculous thing. Steve Vanilla is an original. On the shit note, we often had, more than once, had clients who came from the east, white-tailed deer hunters, came out to do an elk hunt, and they would bust out a Ziploc bag on you, and you'd see them collecting elk shit. Mm -hmm. Not because they were going to place inside their coffee tables, but because... Incense. Not incense either. And I think Dan, did, you tried elk and it wasn't like good, right? Elk's not so Your good. brother lights it on good. fire? Moose, my moose. brother uses incense, moose shit for incense, willow. What? It smells good. amazing, man. What? Because think of all they eat is willows, mostly. So it's a very It's like, it's like a dense packed willow thing that just smolders. Wow. But Dan tried crazy. elk and it wasn't good. Elk made me sick. Yeah. <laughs> it smells like sweetgrass. You ever had someone burn a sweetgrass smudge? No. Moose shit's good shit. Anyways, you're saying these guys bring home, they want to eat it? What do they want to do with it? No, what they would do, it was for a practical joke on their buddies. So they would collect, elk droppings are, what, four or five times the size of the average white-tailed droppings. So they would sneak into their buddy's deer stand and then drop this, you know, Ziploc bag full of elk shit, you know, and then wait for the uh. phone call from his buddy going, dude, you won't believe it. There is a monster buck, the man. monster sphincter <laughs> buck. Bro. <laughs> Rolling through my area. That's a hilarious. giant sphincter buck. This is a common sight. You'd yeah, see. I wouldn't say it wasn't common, but in 10 years of guiding, I probably saw it a half a dozen times. You, yeah. know, it, you know, I wasn't telling them to do it. They would just all of a sudden, you know, drink, finish their Gatorade and start packing their Gatorade bottle full of elk turds. Just yeah. to pay a practical joke. That's hilarious. Maybe. Maybe. My friend one time was on a bunk bed. They were touring. He was in a group. And he, uh, his buddy was hungry, and my friend took a shit on top of the bunk bed in a plate, and then put a plastic fork and knife in it, and then handed it down to his buddy and said, are you hungry now? <laughs> and I think that at 47, the fact that I still think that's hilarious is, uh, you know, proof positive that I really haven't evolved. Just so I'm clear on this. He like did it just to be like uh, silly to dissuade his his hunger. Yeah, he just took a. Sh he was like, oh, there's a paper plate and a fork. Who hasn't done that? I'm gonna shit in that paper plate and I'm gonna. I'm gonna <laughs> I haven't done that. But you know, I'll say this, man. As, as as much as I like animal, I would say that as much as I like animal scat, I hate human excrement more than the average person. Well, now you're this talking is not crazy. Like a, this is not like an excrement thing. <laughs> I never heard like, that. I don't before. do. I never played like. I don't like like. You're not into shit, in other words. Yeah, yeah. I don't like it. You're not I don't into like German shit videos, etc. No, I just I don't want I want to clear that up. That I just I'm just interested in animal scat, just as a um yeah, as trade craft, as trade craft. One thing I trade will say about Steve Rinella, <laughs> Steve is has never said anything. Probably I haven't spent that much time, but he's never said anything. I don't think he's ever said anything really that I didn't find somewhat interesting, one way or another. You you have a lot of interesting things to say. Oh, thanks, Brian. That's real sweet of you. You do. Smart guy. All right, everyone. I know you're enjoying the Meat Eater podcast, and you're especially enjoying it because it's free. And to keep it that way, we got to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. Steve, do you feel sometimes 
like a little alienated in the world of hunting. You're a very well-read guy. You're very articulate. And the show that you have is very different than a lot of the other hunting shows. You know, not to put anybody down specifically or in particular, but a lot of what hunting television is is very low, low vibration. It's very dull. It's very obvious. It's like there's a lot of dim-witted people out there making hunting shows. And, uh, you know, I can, I've, I've watched them just because I, I enjoy watching hunting um, for whatever reason. But there's not a lot of shows like yours. You know, there's not a lot of shows where you have interesting narration. You're obviously well-read. You're, you know, you're, 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 you're very thoughtful in your approach, not just to hunting, but in creating a hunting show. But that's, you know, you're like an island in a sea of mediocrity. Yeah. That's a little bit hard to speak to, but I don't, I haven't watched, like, I honestly haven't watched a lot of hunting shows, you know, and, um, so I, do, I never, like, to do a hunting show, I wasn't thinking that I was, I never thought of it as a reaction against hunting shows, and the other thing is, the people that I work with who, you know, I bring, like, a small, like, I have influence on the show, there's a handful of people that have a ton of influence on the show, and they never watched hunting shows. So I think that it's not that it's not that anyone ever said like, oh yeah, we're gonna do a different type of hunting show. I think it just really came from scratch. That people just said like, well, what would be a good show? What would be entertaining? And it happened that way. Now I'm afraid of watching hunting shows a little bit because I, I have this thing that you hear about, you know, I, I think it's the, 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 expre- the, the term doesn't make sense to me, but anxiety of influence mm. is something people say. Yeah. Where I have a hard time reading contemporary writers writing about the subjects that I'm interested in, because I'm so worried about losing track of what was my. I'm worried about losing track of my worldview and having to be overly influenced by other people's worldviews. I do have a stand-up. Like I, I'm really careful about listening to a lot of stand-up because stuff can creep in. Yeah, there's a oh, lot of people that do that. It creeps in a huge way, man. Yeah. Norton won't watch any stand-up. Yeah, I understand that. I'm the same way. I, I won't. I very rarely watch even Friends. Yeah, but I, I, I feel influenced. like everybody's influenced. You're, you're, we're, we're all influenced by the people that came before us. And you, 100%. I'm not worried about losing my authenticity. But so, do you feel like all you did it. all day was like, let's say, okay, you're like a, you, you're very successful, like just... The main thing is, let's say, all you did all day was watch other commentators. Well, that's comment on UFC. Do you feel like comment on fighting? And you're like, I want to learn how to comment on fighting, so I should study all the fighting commentators. No. Or do you feel like that would be that would open you up to mimicry, which would fail? No. See, that's it's a different sort of a situation because there wasn't really that many people that did it before me. So my my style of commentary is very different than any other sport because I didn't really have it I mean there was a couple guys that had done it before me but not much and you know they you know they didn't have the amount of time in it that I do so I've been doing it for so long and I've been doing commentary for the UFC since 2002 not to mention stand up yeah I started that's when I started doing the commentary but I started doing post fight interviews for the UFC in 97 so the sport was in its infancy I got you and I, I came along when... There's a lot of guys that imitate me, for sure. They sound exactly like me. But I don't mind. I, I, I consider it like a form of flattery, I guess. But uh, it's also... Um, 
you know, I'm doing it the right, I don't know, I guess the right way? I mean, is, is there a right way? I don't know if there's a right way. But, um... Well, you take yourself completely out of it. There's I'm not, like, right. a lot of guys doing it. It's not like basketball where there's, like, 20 guys doing commentary. Like, there's only, like... There's a guy named Jimmy Smith who does Bellator. There's a couple other guys out there that do commentary. It's very few. Boss Rutten. Very few guys are doing it. So I don't have to worry about that. You know, I had a thing happen to me, like, when... As a writer, when I, when I was studying writing, when I was in graduate school, I read what I consider to be the greats, you know, the great nonfiction writers, the great narrative nonfiction writers. And then I got where I, I understood how that kind of, how those stories worked and how you put a book together. And then I just really turned my attention to the, my own projects that I wanted to write about and just read source material, primary source material, you know. So not, so reading scientific journals, you know, academic stuff, historical accounts, historical journals, and just pulling from that things that hadn't been interpreted by anybody yet. Or they've been interpreted by many people, but I wasn't reading it through the lens of another person like me. And I and the first book I wanted to write, I wanted to write a book about the Great Lakes, okay, where I grew up. So I spent about a year, I, I moved from Montana back to the Great Lakes. My dad had just died. I took his truck, rigged it up for camping, and just drove around camping all around the Great Lakes and reading source material. And I wasn't gonna read anything that any contemporary person wrote about the Great Lakes. And I built up a bunch of things that I, that I found out about the Great Lakes that I had never heard anybody say. I'd never read it, and I was like, this, will be, this could be a great book. One of the things I found out was that this guy one time bought a bunch of animals from a zoo that was closing down, loaded them on a barge, and charged hundreds of people a dollar a piece to watch him send the barge of animals over Niagara Falls. Whoa. Yeah. To their death. Okay. Whoa. So I was like, that's interesting. Another interesting thing I found out about that I read about the Great Lakes is that when after Joseph Smith was killed in Illinois, the great, you know, the Mormon founder, he was killed in Illinois and there was a power struggle between Brigham Young who wanted to go out to Salt Lake City, took his files out to Salt Lake City, and a guy named James Strange, who had just a handful of followers, and took his followers up to an island in Lake Michigan called Beaver Island, declared it an independent state, and started to resort to piracy, which he felt was him collecting taxation owed to his sovereign nation for people transporting goods around Lake Michigan. And then he was later shot to death by his own followers. So I'm like, I'm going to write a book that's going to have all this stuff in it that no one knows about. And then one day this book comes out called... Under the Banner of Heaven? No, this book comes out called uh, The Great Lakes. And the author's first name was a guy named Jerry. And I read the book. And it had in there the handful of things that I thought I held on to. Okay. With all due respect to this guy, I don't think it was. A, I don't think it was a great book. I called a friend of mine and was complaining about it, and he said, "You know, I can't think of one good book ever written by a guy named Jerry." But which is a little bit funny. So, anyways, <laughs> the book. I I quit my project. I I, sh I stopped doing it. I didn't write the book. I moved back to Montana, completely depressed as a writer, completely defeated. Because I allowed myself to go like, oh, someone else found these things out. Even though he didn't handle it the way I would have handled it, it was like 
I couldn't do it anymore. Right. And from then on, I've been much more careful about, um, much more careful about what I allow to come into my head. You know, because for me, just as a person who likes to like, create material, um, I have like uh, certain sensitivities, man. You know, and 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 so that's one thing. Like, I, I try not to. I, I watch a lot of TV, but I don't watch any TV that would have anything to do with anything I would ever be involved with. Which makes me, in a lot of ways, really behind the times. But it's just like a defense mechanism. You know, Hunter Thompson, when he was learning how to write, would uh, write The Great Gatsby. He would literally write it word for word to get the rhythm, the music of the language. Yep. Like he would like rewrite the entire book. So I've, I've of, read that and thought about doing it many times because there's some things like there's some passages that you just can't imagine that someone ever wrote, and I could see that it'd be like almost therapeutic to do it. But I don't think of that like they're you know like 20th century writers. I don't think of it as a contemporary writer. For me, it'd be. Something, I guess like stuff that's been written in the last 10, 20 years is very difficult for me to read unless it's, if it has something to do with what I'm talking about, unless it's by like an anthropologist or something. Someone who's not, who's not a professional at translating information. And turning it into entertainment. And turning it into, yeah. People who are skilled at taking technical information and making it entertaining, I'm very afraid of. Hmm. It's probably people overall. Are it's probably people who are what? People who are technical information and turning it into entertainment. Right. I, I like. I'm. I'm afraid of. It's them. almost like historical novelists. You're not going to get the real history necessarily, even though they can. They can touch on the history of a subject. Like if you read Leon Uris or someone like that, great writer. But if you if you want to read the history of like say the founding of Israel, which he wrote, which is what Exodus is about, you you, you don't want to draw your historical knowledge from that book. Yeah, but that's not what he's saying. Well, he's worried about his influence. You checked out. You weren't even paying no, attention. No, I was. I was listening. I was listening. I know what he does. He gets ADD on you and he vanishes. No, 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 no. And he comes back in and he wants to, the, to tell you about a book that he read so he can name drop the title. And no, the no, 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 no. I, I hear what he's story. saying. I hear what he's saying. He's saying uh, but he it's, said, it's based on some <laughs> ancient knowledge. Naturally. No, but he said, he said uh, technical information into... Um, I just Something told you and you forgot. <laughs> you weren't paying attention, you fuck. I caught you. I know what the fuck happened. I've been following the no, conversation. No, 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 no. You were not listening to what he was saying. You were totally taking that out of context. No. You know exactly what you were just doing. You I fuck. wasn't. I wasn't. I, I was busted listening. you. I swear I was. Listening. What was he saying? What was he t talking about just before that? <laughs> He's very careful about what gets into his head. Right, right, about. right, right. In other words, in other words, after the experience of the Great Lakes and writing that book, I never, um, I never wrote the book. No, I'm you saying when fuck. you read the book that wasn't that you good fuck. by the guy, and you you came back, you were all depressed. <laughs> He's scrambling right now. Look at him trying to No, but, water. but I actually He's was following it. I was following it because it's kind of relevant to the struggle you have when you try to be a writer or a stand-up comic or whatever. It's the same issue where you have to become very guarded ab about influence and also, in a way, what you think about. That's why I thought it was really interesting. I, that's why I thought what you said was really interesting because I think it's very relevant. He pulled through. Sort of. Yeah, no, it was good. Sort of. He's a little shaky. No, no, no. You can tell I'm listening when I'm not saying anything. He pulled through because I. <laughs> he pulled when through I'm because quiet. I said something. No, no, no. I was fucking gave him a hard time. I was, I, you're usually right, but this time I was actually following. Do you feel in stand up? Can you, do you watch a lot of stand up? I love stand up comedy. Yeah, I watch a lot of stand up comedy. Do you ever find yourself saying, like. Or not. Do you ever catch yourself adopting. Someone else's like methods. No, tricks. no, no, no. 
No, but because I've been doing it so long. But when I first started out, yeah, definitely. When I was uh, when I was young, I was an open micer. I would catch myself sounding exactly like certain comedians. I can remember one time I was on stage and I, I heard myself sounding exactly like this guy Richard Jenny, who was a very funny comic that a lot of people don't know about. Committed suicide a few years back, and uh, just was very depressed for a bunch of different reasons but I think one of his reasons for besides clinical depression was that he just was never recognized for the great comic that he was like in the 1980s he was one of the best comics alive for like a few years really funny guy and I caught him then when I was first starting out like 88 like around that's I started out in 88 and uh, he was just a monster back then and for whatever reason history didn't uh, didn't recognize him as, as great as he was so much of comedy is rhythm too. Like I have to be careful if I'm gonna perform, and somebody has a rhythm I really like. Yeah, there's a few guys like, that have like, like Dove really. Dave Davidoff has a specific rhythm I really like, so I can't watch him because I'll fall into that rhythm. Mm -hmm. I know famous comedians who won't, I won't say who who have been directly influenced by you or really well known comedians who do really well, and they do like they'll do the girl the, when you do a girl uh -huh. like exactly like you. It's not so much their fault. They obviously were looking up to you when they were younger, and now they're doing it, and it's just an interesting. You got to kind of, you got to be aware of that. What I get paranoid about is being so influenced by a bit that it'll find its way into my stuff. So I don't think it, you have to worry about that. Well, You're I did original. A, yeah, but I did a thing about bees and cars, and but when uh, a bee gets in your car, yeah, and 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 uh, Justin Kinney had done something really funny once, and I came and said, "Hey, dude, just so you know, I'm doing a thing on bees and cars, but it's different." And I went through what I was doing, and I realized I had been way more influenced than I thought. And I said, I gotta stop doing that, you know. So it, it just, I, you know. It's you gotta, weird when you take a guy on the road with you, mm. and then they open up for you, and then they start doing you. That's strange. Yeah. I've had to stop taking guys with me. Yeah. I've had to stop working with guys because they're like they're basically doing me before I do me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's weird. Because like young guys and they're starting out, especially like they're re super easily influenced and they want to be successful, and so they're kind of struggling a little bit, and they see you go on and kill it. And then they're like, fuck, I got to do what he's doing. And so they start doing what you're doing. And then they start adopting subject matter. And that's when it becomes problematic. Mm. Because they start stepping on some of your material. Like if you're doing, like even obscure jokes. You know, doing a joke about a jet boil fucking canister. They'll start talking about jet boils. Oh, really? Know? Oh, it's a real problem. That's pretty bad. And sometimes they do it on purpose. Sometimes guys do it, especially guys who are like spiteful. They do it because they want to sort of mess up your punchline. So they take out the surprise element. Of your subject matter, mm. they'll it's called stepping on your material. That's what everybody calls it. So like they'll like say if you have a joke about uh, King Kong, they'll do uh, they'll talk about King Kong before you do your joke about King Kong purposely to try to tank your material, knowing that you're gonna know that that's they what do he's doing. Do it on purpose. They're doing it on purpose. Th that's such a weird yeah. thing about. But how comics. is that not just like uh, sabotage? How's it not like cutting off your dick to spite your balls, man? Well, they're they're just being they're just sabotaging you. They're, it's an e they're sabotaging issue. themselves because you're they're, they're opening for you. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They, they, they do don't, a lot. They're not that. that. They're like they're in the moment when they're in the moment on stage. All they care about is trying to mess up your set. Like there's there's <laughs> some guys that are influenced and there's some guys that are doing it on purpose. The influence guys, it's a problem, but it's not as big of a problem as the saboteurs. The the guys who are trying to sabotage your sets. Like that's one of the reasons why I always take people on the road with me because if you show up at a town and there's like local acts, like local acts are the worst. Like you're in Pittsburgh, for instance, and some fucking guy is opening for you, and he goes on the first night, he does his material, then you do your material, and then the next night he does a bunch of subjects that are the same subjects as you, and you can tell these are like loosely pieced together bits that he probably constructed last night. 
just to try to fuck with your act. Cow, man. Yeah, it's because yeah, because they're fucking jealous. You know, they're like, okay, shit. That's one thing that you'll see all the time in young comics. Young comics. There's some comics who are have like reverence for comics that have been around a while, and there's some comics that are the opposite. They're like, that guy's not even that good. That guy sucks. That guy. And those are the guys you have to watch out for, because those guys a lot of times are delusional and they'll try to sabotage your act. You know, what like mimicry is tough because. It's probably ones. I mean, there's only like so many things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you said, like a jet boil is pretty specific. But I imagine it's you can always claim if it's like a joke about a guy and a girl getting in a fight in a car. Right. You always claim like, right. well, how can you claim to own that? Exactly. Yeah. You know, I remember when we started out when we started making Wild Within. Right away, we had this guy who was really pushy and very aggressive for a while that he had had his ideas stolen because he had done this thing where he goes down to a riverbank. And they catch a fish, and he's got a table and a white tablecloth and stemware and stuff on it. And then he proceeds to cook this fish and serve it like fine dining style on a gravel bar. And was just adamant that somehow we had stole his idea. That's hilarious. It's like, Homet, you had the uh, you patented, so to speak, the idea of catching something and eating it. <laughs> well, you know, parallel you know, thinking. You, you, you get you get scripts. I had a, somebody sent me a script, and then another guy sent me a treatment, and both of them with it came a form. I had to sign an anti-plagiarism form. And the I've first had thing, people. Give first me thing those. I said to him, I go, guys. Number one, here are a couple things. One is ideas are a dime a dozen. Any idea you thought of, people have thought of, it's a question of the execution of the idea, which is a whole nother thing. And second of all, that's very amateurish. The idea that you know I'm protecting it with this document and stuff like that. I, well, I, that's. But first of all, before you say any further, I know dudes who've been ripped off. I know guys. I know a guy who fucking sent a script to Sylvester Stallone's company. They edit that up. No, go ahead. Because the guy eventually had to get credited for it. Yeah. He sued. Oh, he won. And got and won. He they they made the movie, and then after they made the movie, he won the case, so they had to put him in as the writer. Oh shit! Wow. Did he get good money? I don't know. I mean, it's something that happens on a regular basis. Yeah. They would rather you fight them in court. They take your idea, and if they win, they don't have to pay you. And yeah. if they lose, they'll, they'll, it's it's common. It's yeah. common. It's common that you would bring a, a, a script to a production company or a big actor, and it's a part of the business. Or you they'll just your steal show. your premise and they just rework it. It happens yeah. all the time. You, you can with pitch show a show premises. To a too, yeah. yeah, you can pitch a show to a network, and, make, and then no they're thanks, and then they're, they're coming up with their own version of it. And ideas move so much from the point of intent to what you actually wind up with. Oh yeah, that it probably after a while you probably feel like if you're the stealer. You probably get the feeling like we've taken it so far now right. that it has nothing to do with the original idea. But then one could turn around and say, like, "Yeah, but that was the foundation, man. Like yeah. that well, set you into a, a, well, an act of building on and uh -huh. creating. So in some way, you still owe me, even though your stuff I made A, you wound up with I, but well, you wouldn't have gotten to I without my A." One of the biggest things that, that that lawyers in Hollywood deal with is exactly that, where somebody will have an idea. Then they, they get together with somebody else who's a producer. Then they hire a writer who has a track record. Now the writer and the producer take it, and it becomes a completely different animal. But the guy who originated not only the connection between the two and the whole idea is left out because he's not really that relevant anymore. Yeah. And then they change the title of it, sure. and then he gets cut out completely. Yeah. You know, they, always, there's always that possibility. It's a big possibility I was involved in, in a movie like that, and 
I don't know if I can say it, but warrior. Yeah. And and what happened was the, the original writer, when I put the writer and director, my friend and the director together, they just took it and went completely different. I mean, there's not a word that was originally written about it in there, really, besides maybe I, I think the character names or something. But he got credit. Yeah. Uh, it went to arbitration, and Zag, uh, the Screenwriters Guild, gave him uh, credit. Yeah, it does happen. I mean, it does happen. You know, it's uh, it's it's tricky. You know, plagiarism is dirty business, man, and it's it's common. But the, the also influence, like just accidental influence, is common as well. You know that that does happen. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up bubbly doug's place on on x and i'll look at the topography and i'll be like oh that sucker must be over in that little opening over there waypoints also and the ability to share them okay comes in handy every spring whether that's revisiting old waypoints where i've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds this app will help you find more turkeys on x hunt has a special offer for you too Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. I don't, I don't I, listen, man, I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like to, I just buy my stuff online and I love their shirts. Max that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day. I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting. Not not all baggy. Better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability. And way comfortable. Poncho 
is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. You know, I wanted to, there's a point I wanted to make when you were talking about stand-up. It really has nothing to do with people stealing people's ideas. But uh, I think one thing that really sets your comedy apart from a lot of comedians I've seen is, um, and I tried to explain this to a couple people at various times, that so many comics have a thing where their position is self-loathing. Like, that their humor is based on sort of a self-loathing. Right. They turn self-loathing into humor. And one thing that's always kind of remarkable about your stuff is that, uh, like, somehow you have comedy that comes from a position of strength which is difficult probably like you don't you're not up there putting yourself like here i am this miserable sad sack right you know which is great funny stuff and a lot of the comedians i like like i think like like louis ck is a lot of like i loathe myself right 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 you know norm mcdonald like a lot of his funny stuff is like i loathe myself i'm the punchline but you have like you're you're able to like make comedy from a like a from a person, like, as a person who obviously doesn't loathe themselves, you're still able to be funny. When it seems like that's a very quick avenue to humor. Yeah, but there's it's a like, lot of avenues to humor. There's so many avenues to humor. It's, humor is just, here's the world through my eyes. If you really think things are funny, you could figure out a way to translate that to an audience. And when someone is sitting there watching you, what comedy really is, is like a form of mass hypnosis. It's like you tune those people in to what you think is funny. And if it works, everyone's laughing along with you. But if you lose the script at all, if you lose the, the feeling, or if you're saying things that you don't have any at- attachment to, they fucking smell it, man. They're animals. They're like, there's something wrong. The words are coming out correctly. The punchlines are delivered with the right amount of pause. But I'm not buying it. And they don't buy it. But if you, it's what you think is funny. It's all, like, if you genuinely think something's funny and you can figure out a way to, to concoct the words and articulate the ideas, you know, there's no real, there's no real like, pattern that every comic has no, yeah, to follow. But a lot of comedy comes from a point of, of real serious insecurity. Yeah. That's where a lot of comedians come like from. Like, my trouble with girls, my yeah. trouble with my wife, yeah. my trouble with my physical appearance. Yeah. My, yeah. You know, and then people can relate to that because also people like the person on stage who's de- demanding all their attention and time. They like that person to kind of be a loser so that they don't feel bad about them not being the person that's getting all the attention. Yeah. Especially men on dates. Oh, men it. on dates is, yeah. do not like, like a, a handsome, good-looking guy delivering like a Chris D'Elia type character on stage or uh, what was his name? Brian Callen? No, not that guy. <laughs> no, no, no. What's the guy who uh, went on stage? The guy was almost too good looking. He went on stage with Dane Cook all the time in the tourgasm. Gary Goldman. Gary Goldman. Gary Goldman's like 6'2", 6'3". Six, 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 six. He's huge. Is he 6'6"? Six, six? Six, six. Exactly. Okay. Six, six. Handsome as fuck. Perfect sculptured features and 
you know, just nobody wants to see that, man. That's a good point, man. I never thought of that. Yeah, you take your uh, you take your lady out, and she's like, wow, this guy's amazing. Yeah, beautiful, fucking giant, handsome man. Yeah, it's better because there's like Fuck a guy off. out there, a big fat guy out there yeah. talking about how he can't get a heart. Yeah, bald, bald <laughs> fucking <laughs> shitty sneakers on. That's what I want to see. Some loser that my wife has no interest in fucking. You know? If you are gonna make like like if you're if you're gonna talk about being good looking, all you better you gotta be kind of be like every man like me where I, like I'll pick up a stool well, you were just telling us yesterday how objectively you're the best looking man in I this am party. I am but, I, but I'm talking in about I perform, I perform with a shirt on so in this party this group right here you're saying I think I'm probably the if best you had like NASA really? come in and say like Who's I mean, the best looking man has the best physical harmony and everything? He thinks that it's him. I don't know. But, but he thinks that Giannis would, <laughs> that more it, women he's, so, he's smoldering. More <laughs> women he's would want to breed. I'm, I'm resting my face. More resting. women would want to breed with Giannis. Even though Giannis isn't the best harmony person. Hmm. Giannis is the best looking guy. Look at his look at his legs. He's got legs for days. He's got a, he's got beautiful hair. It's graying slightly, but it's mostly blonde. So that's Callan's thing is that he will actually think about that. Am I the guy in this room that a woman <laughs> who wandered in would want to fuck? Like he really what wonders. That's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> he really does wonder. That's a ridiculous thing. Do you to think say. that you like concocted your humor as a response to trying to make women as happy as possible 100%. with you? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I mean, my my. I thank God sometimes. I, I really spend an inordinate amount of time, even at forty-seven. It's funny, wishing I was. I were. I look. That's the difference between me and you. Yeah. Me and you. My my humor is once the one guy works so hard to get the girl, and then they go off. I make fun of those fucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get everybody else together and go, check this shit out. Look at this fucking dummy. Yeah. Good good luck with the rest of your life with her. You've been fucking painting an act together. Right. Slopping together some bullshit fucking for premise for your than, own personality. For me, it's more than women, though. For me, it's more like the idea it's that everybody. I... everybody. Like, like, I've been thinking about the fact, you know, just, just bone density. Or, or just like wanting, <laughs> to, I want to be. What does that mean? Your be, bone would sink faster than like a person with high bone. It just means you have more scaffolding for muscle, and I want to be built like a Samoan. But that's not what that means. Part of me dies every day, but no, no, I'm no, not. No, no. It's, it's, bone density means it would sink faster than a non. Well, it actually means the thickness of the bones. Yeah. The bones, like that, how much marrow there is, and how how thick the bones are themselves. You can actually change your bone density with heavy weightlifting. So, like, but per some gram, actually have more bone like density. a person with high bone density. A gram of their bone weighs is heavier than but so it doesn't mean thing. like how big it is just how dense it is here's literally. where the misconception comes from the variables it's very slight it's yeah. very slight human bones don't weigh much at all they weigh like, like your entire pounds, yeah or? your entire skeleton is like you know between like six and eight pounds once it's dried out yes and the variable the variation between a full-grown woman and a full-grown man not that much most of it is muscle and tendons and organs and all that stuff. That's where most of your weight comes from. But there is a difference in bone density and, more importantly, in bone structure. Because, like, bone density is one thing, but a narrow guy like Callan will never be a wide guy. Yeah. He'll never be thick. Like, there's no way you could change it. You can't change the structure of the body. Yeah. But you can change the density. Like, I could never be a thick neck. Right. I could maybe be a hothead, but never a thick well, neck. Well, you could get, your neck could get definitely get thicker, but you never get broad shoulders. Yeah. The yeah. only way you would do that is, you know, you'd have to change your genetics somehow or another, which is not outside the realm of possibility, and it's something they're working on on a daily basis. They're constantly fucking with the human body and trying to figure out new ways that they can, you know, influence genes and change this and alter that and... 
without a doubt, within our lifetimes, we're going to see genetically modified human beings that all look like fucking Hercules. I mean, it's it's going to happen. If we stay alive for another 50, 60 years, I am I mean, we as a species. Oh, no, we as individuals. Okay, yeah. If we stay alive until we're like in our 90s, we'll probably see some fucking freak human beings yeah. that look like the Hulk. Like yeah, people like those that have never existed cows before. Or something. Seven foot tall people that are 500 pounds who can jump over buildings. It's on the way. They've already figured out a thing called myostatin inhibitors. They figured out how to alter these in mice. They happen in, uh, naturally in uh, when they breed whippets. It's a type too, of dog. Right? Cows. It happens in cows too. Yeah, but there's yeah. a lot of legal hurdles to this stuff. Nah. I guess in other countries you go happen. ahead though. Not for yeah. sports, no, it's gonna buddy. Happen. Not for sports. It's gonna happen. It's, people are fucking with it. I mean, there'll be legal hurdles as far as like competition in the Olympics and things along those lines. But as far as like human beings altering their body for for a positive benefit, you mean post birth? Myostatin inhibitors. When they, they get these mice, they, the mice have twice as much muscle and live longer. They live longer. They can fucking run for days. They can do all kinds of crazy shit that other mice can't. They're super mice. And they figured out how to do this. They've altered the genes in the mice to make them do that. It's a matter of time before they start doing that with humans. A matter of a decade, two decades, whatever it is, before they figure out how to really tap into that. But the, the, the people that you see today, you know, natural people that just exist because Bob and Sally got together and had a kid, those are gone. Those, they, they won't be here 100 years from now or 200 years from now. There will be, you know, we will live in a world of superheroes. Yeah. And it'll be just like cell phones, where when cell phones first came out, it was only the wealthy that could afford them. It was like on Wall Street, you see Michael Douglas got that stupid brick to his head, and he's walking around. It's like it's a status symbol in rap videos. Well, now you can go to the jungle, and you'll see people with little tiny-ass cell phones. Everybody has a fucking phone now. It's because... As technology grows, as it exponentially gets more and more complex, and as innovation continues, you're seeing access to this technology slowly start to trickle down to the average everyday folks. You're going to see that with genetic engineering. It's just going to be a but thing. You, you wonder what, it do, what it'll do, what it'll do to artistic expression. Sit the fuck down. We're doing a podcast. I'm just stretching. Nobody can hear you. But you, you wonder what it does to artistic expression because I, I was going to say that. Thank God I do have those longings to be somebody else because all my humor comes from the fact that yeah. I am compensating for, Yeah. you know, yeah, I got a great jawline and, and my eyes yeah. are hypnotic. I'm going to stretch. Um, <laughs> my brother once observed that if a woman says, oh, he's funny, she likes it. Yeah, she's attracted to him. If she says he's nice, she don't. Ha. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's pretty true, man. Like, who is that guy? He's funny. That now, means she wants to go out with him. Women have a hard time creating humor for the most part. There's obviously some very funny women, very funny women comedians, but Christopher Hitchens had this really interesting take on it, and he uh, he wrote an article. I think it was in GQ. What was that article in? One of, the, one of the magazines, Esquire, maybe. He wrote an article, Vanity Fair? I think it was Vanity Fair. He wrote an article about women aren't funny, and uh, women freak the fuck out, but... He, I can imagine his, that would go over real well. But his take was that it's not that there aren't certain examples. Don't let him hold the mic. Jesus Christ. It's not that... <laughs> it wasn't that there aren't the rare aberrations of very funny women. But for the most part, the funny women were very butchy, very dykey, very large and big. And their humor was mostly male. It was male-oriented humor. 
in that he minute. wrote this yes yes and not only did he write it but he defended it when criticized in this video it was brilliant it was really? amazing yeah because he was saying like it's not that there aren't sarah silverman's or or uh, was she on the cover was she sort of like the cover for this piece yeah i believe so like yeah. they were trying to run around the criticism by uh-huh yeah, yeah, no, yeah by I, coming I, up with the one aberration no i remember this you know? now i remember this now but a lot of women also that are funny or they're funny on a curve they're judged on a curve it's like compare them to like kinnison there's no woman that's ever been as funny as kinnison it's like roseanne bars in my opinion one of the all-time great comedians and I, I put her up there in the top 10 all-time greats, male and female. But she was fat and loud and fuck him, shut up, sit the fuck down. That was her thing, man. Yeah. She wasn't feminine in any way, shape, or form. There was nothing dainty. And in his analysis or his, his take on it, it was like, no, she's doing male humor. She's not behaving like your stereotypical female. She's behaving like a man. She's doing a man's version of humor. Dude, that was a bold thing to write, man. He's a, he was a bold motherfucker. There's a, there's a book, uh, a fantastic book about human genetics and human evolution called uh, Lone Survivors. So it came out, as we, weirdly, it came out just before the book Lone Survivor, but Lone Survivors about why are, hum, why are we the only humans on Earth? So, like, what happened to all the other, you know, because at times you had many human forms all running around at the same time, sometimes on the same continent. Like when Neanderthals and humans were coexisting in Europe. So anyways, lone survivors. And there's a couple points in his book when he's talking about human migrations and other things. There's a couple points in his book he would say, basically, there are a lot more interesting things I could tell you about, but it's career suicide to discuss these things. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's right. He just won't say it. That's wow. Right. He that's won't so say crazy. things. About like when he's talking about what forms like just like distribution of certain gene types and stuff he's like it's career suicide to discuss it i won't discuss it that's what steven pinker that's what yeah. steven pinker writes about in in a, a, the blank slate i mean if you as an academic come up with ideas that suggest that people are born differently physiologically and especially mentally good luck because the he was idea just talking physiology and, and he was afraid and, to say it. And exactly. And and uh, there are people now that are tackling that because the science is so overwhelming on the other side. I mean, David Epstein's book, um, um, The Sports Gene, I mean, he makes a clear case that if you are, you're not sprinting. And you could never have said this before. But the evidence that you're not sprinting in the World Championships of the Olympics in the 100 or 200 meters, or at least 100, if, if you are not, or you're, I'm sorry, you're not meddling. <laughs> you're not meddling if you look at the past 20 years unless you are of West African descent and a specific area Isn't of West Africa. Isn't that funny that that could be considered racist? Just Not truth. only that, but you're talking about a good thing. Right. Like, it's crazy. Like, you say, all oh, black guys have big dicks. You're a racist. Isn't that a good thing to have a big <laughs> dick? Like, how... What, what am I... If I if I was saying all black dicks taste like fucking turpentine, yeah, then that would probably be racist, right? Right. You know what I mean? But I'm I'm saying it's a good thing. Yeah, but like I think well, the, co the coach, was, I, I think it was a Nebraska coach or whoever who said we we don't have enough speed in our team, and he said we got to start getting some black backs on this team. Black guys. He yeah, said black guys, yeah, yeah. And he, there was a huge uproar. Well, they asked him, "What do you need to change?" He goes, "Well, we need to get some more black players." Right. And guess what? Who is they, this? they looked at they looked some at they coach. looked at all the the top running backs and defensive backs in the NFL and in D1 ball. Guess what they were? They were they were primarily black. Right. Now, it's how is not, that racist just when truth. you're talking about something good? Right. 
the it's same amazing. way the same way that the majority of world champion uh, uh, well I think it's because it, it reinfor it reinforces like an impression I think it reinforces an impression no the yeah, idea, that, the idea that, that they're better athletes well more, more, yeah, but more, I think more some importantly, people aren't I think some people aren't comfortable no, about no. that because it trivializes other attributes no because it's more important more important than that that's it I'm, goes I'm against, trying to tell you what I think people would say it goes okay. against the Marxist idea uh, ideology the, the term that we all start as equal that that some people are born different and with advantages it it, it what it, what it does is it highlights the fact that inequality exists in nature even among people that is a very touchy subject because it was used by the nazis and other people to justify the destruction subjugation enslavement etc of people uh you're jewish therefore you are of inferior blood it goes back to kings and queens you were you were only allowed to breed with a nope with someone of noble blood right but could, why you know, when you're talking about superior attributes is it racist they, it's not well, let's, say you, that, let's say you were in a board meeting for your company right and you're like let's name the 10 greatest inventions of the last hundred years mm -hmm. and then they people rattle off like what they from their perspective what they regard to be the 10 greatest inventions so they got like the computer you know the microchip or whatever you got car who came up with all that wait guys what this company needs i can't help it it's just true this company needs some white guys well, well why, why would be like, that be you're, racist you're, you're, why would that be racist where i can tell you why but why well, why would it be racist <laughs> if it was a fact but it's not a fact. It's not a fact. In other words, th oh, that's no, okay, different. That, you, well, you're yeah. talking about one very specific right, 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 thing. Right, right. Okay, I don't know who's created what or invented what, but if you're talking about some specific facts, right. and you're talking about, you know, okay, here's a perfect example. How many European Jews have won Nobel Prizes? A fucking shit ton. I'll tell you how many. Yeah. Half. A fucking half, shit ton. Half of so all So if Nobel you Prize said, uh, you know, hey, our university wants to win a Nobel Prize, want to get one of our professors, what do we need to do? We need to get some European Jews on staff. <laughs> is that, I think that, is would... that stereotypical? Or is that, is that, what is that? Well, is yes, that because I think that it would imply, it would impl the, the implication is that other people's ability to contribute is limited based on that. Yeah. And we sort of, we, and, and in some way, right. and I'm not telling you that, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm offended by this because I know you're just you're just voicing concerns. I'm saying that I think that people would feel that you're saying that that others' ability is limited, and by focusing on what traditionally is produced, you're creating sort of a static environment where that thing will continue to happen, and you're not opening it up for other people to have new opportunities. Correct. Right, but how can you say that when you're talking about something like sprinting? Where the fucking numbers are so overwhelming. What is it? Uh, we're going to have like affirmative action for sprinters and only have a bunch of white sprinters because black guys are tuned too well. Yeah. We're going to lower the times. We're, none of that. We're going to give them a hundred yard head start. Like white guys just suck at running. So what we're going to do is we're going to make it really easy yeah. for white runners. It's racist if you don't. Otherwise, you're going to have all <laughs> black people winning sprinting. And you know, I mean, you really could turn yeah. it in that direction. Yeah. But, but like, what, how what, come these European Jews are doing so well? Right. Well, it's because we haven't given these other people a better chance they need affirmative action with inventions and if you come up with an invention you got to fucking hand it over to some yugoslavian guy with a fucking head wound because there's none of those who've ever well, come up with shit we've, but, we've got but a statistic the delineation though the distinction is the distinction is two one is one is genetic 
which you can prove, evolutionary biologists can prove with the amount of fast twitch muscle and things like that. The other is cultural. And so when you talk about, um, for example, I believe half of, almost half of all Nobel Prize winners were Jewish, have been Jewish, which is an incredible number. But then you have to look at the culture. Then you have to, then, then there's so many different factors in that aspect. So, so, you know, you, you would look at, uh, what is esteemed in the culture, uh, education, being original, having to be original, otherwise you get kicked out of the country, ethic. hard work, all those things. I think it was Jared Diamond looked at, yes. I think it was, doesn't he look at he like selective job. pressure, what yes. the selective pressures well, against Ashkenazi Jews well, were? You know, Jared Diamond did an amazing job of, first of all, saying that the reason he, he, he looked at why when he was in Papua New Guinea one of his the guys he was working with said why do you white people have everything and us black people have nothing and that sent him on a 20-year odyssey to figure out why it was that some nations excelled others didn't it's primarily northern Europe Europe and sub sub-saharan Africa why didn't sub-saharan Africa not so much of it had to do with geography so much of it had to do with whether you had access to domesticated animals uh, uh, edible grasses and the environment uh, what disease did to you, uh, all those kinds of things. I mean, and he does a masterful job of, of proving that, that it had to do more with also your, your access to other people. We borrow from other people. Any tribe that was isolated, like the, the, New, the Highlanders of New Guinea who were isolated for 40,000 years, stayed primitive because they, were, they didn't have access to um, other people's ideas. Human beings share ideas and that's why they grow. Um, and we share ideas more importantly from completely different environments, different cultures. Yes. But what he yes. found is you live in an area yes. where yes. you have yes. a lot of people, where you have long latitudinal lines, where you have people with a similar climate can share material. You advance faster exactly. than people on a thing where it's oriented longitudinally, where when I figure out something here, down in the south of our land, it doesn't really apply to you up there. So, if a, like a landmass that has on a map appears horizontal, advances faster than a landmass that appears vertical. Look at sense. Africa. Africa's because you're figuring shit out in the Amazon yeah. that some dude up in the Great Plains could right. give a shit about. Right, right. It, it has no bearing on it. Africa, you know? Africa, and the Middle East, what they call the Fertile Crescent, the North Africa and the Middle East, where so much where writing came, you know, a lot of writing, uh, domesticated animals, barley, wheat, all those things, and there was a thriving population. What you had, the reason it didn't come down to, the to, you know, Africa, equatorial Africa, is because you had the, the, the desert, the Sahara Desert, and then impenetrable jungle. Then you get down to South Africa, and that was, that was temperate. So, so wherever there was trade and people were able to go and not, you know, and share ideas without dying of yellow fever and stuff like that, it was totally different. But what's fascinating about Jared Diamond's work was that you take a Highlander from New Guinea who's been isolated for 40,000 years, and there's no tradition of writing, reading, or arithmetic. You take that, they took a kid who had, had came from none of that, none of that, and he went to a regular, you know, Western schooling. And by the time he was whatever, 1415, he was reading and writing and doing arithmetic on the same level as any Northern European. That's very interesting because what that says is the malleability of the human brain and the fact that the Highlanders may not be sharing the same intellectual tradition, but they are having to use their brain. They are having to figure out what grasses are edible, what the, what the weather's going to do tomorrow, uh, how they're going to hunt. So they're still using their brain. That, that, that malleability can be applied. Shit. First time ever on a podcast. Yeah, why don't we actually wrap this up? Wrap yep. it. This is almost seven or eighty minutes. So. Is there uh, any uh, toilet paper left? Just wrap it up, Steve. Um, 
We don't have any toilet paper. Uh, we do. Toilet paper? Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is all. Joe possible. Rogan come out with you. held it as long as he could. He has to leave to go out into the rain. He's got the kit, you know. One thing that Brian, uh, I, I want to close on one note. Brian is, well, I was talking about fast twitch and slow twitch muscle. And it reminded me of something my brother was just telling me. He's a he's an ecologist. He deals a lot with fish. When you cut a salmon fillet in half, and you see how you got all that, like the pink flesh on the salmon fillet, and then you have that little bit of brown, it's kind of like people sometimes call the bloodline, but a little bit of brown flesh in the center of the fillet, up against the skin. What you're looking at is that little bit of brown stuff is slow twitch muscle. And all of that pink is fast twitch muscle. And when that salmon's just swimming through the ocean, he's just using that little bit of brown stuff. And all that pink stuff is for when his holy shit moments of when he splits. That's like the ratio of, like, if you look at a turkey, how he's got the dark meat, you know, wing and leg dark meat, and then he's got that white flesh. That's what you're looking at on a salmon. Isn't that interesting? Thanks for tuning in. We're going to... Just hope that the weather gets better. Let's go hunting. It's it getting, might not it's get better. Close. Let's just go hunt. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.